Please be seated. Well, good morning, Chillicothe Bible Church. I'm glad that you all are all here this morning as we worship the living God together. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue our study through the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to see two of the most famous miracles in the same passage that Jesus does in his whole ministry. And we're also going to see the disciples have their very typical dazed and confused reaction to watching Jesus do miracles. Um, and they're confused about everything Jesus does. And maybe some of you, as you're sitting out here, uh, as you're reading the Gospel of Mark, maybe some of you for the first time, uh, look at this and you go, this just is not making a lot of sense. But the point of the Gospel of Mark is given to us in the very first verse where Mark says the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's to present Jesus as being the Messiah, the one who was to come, the one whom the prophets foretold from of old, and the son of the living God. Not just a human king, a son of David, but the son of God as well. And we're going to be studying the passage again. And what I thought about it over and over again uh, is the fact that the disciples really fail to grasp who Jesus is and what he is doing. And if you're like me, when you read the description of the disciples' reaction, it's pretty easy to sit there and think, what is wrong with these guys? Why are they so dense? Why don't they get it? And uh, maybe you've thought that too as you've read through either Mark or one of the other Gospels. But I think we need to be careful as we do that and as we have that reaction because, number one, we're looking back with the benefit of a massive amount of hindsight because these things are happening to the disciples and they're experiencing them before a bunch of stuff that we all live in light of. The crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, the coming of the Spirit, the writing of the, of the New Testament. All of this stuff informs our understanding in a lot better way than the guys who were living through it initially. So, so remember that, but also remember this, that... Uh, as you look at as as you look at your life and and as I look at mine, uh, even with a far greater level of information than what these guys had, uh, I still often fail to understand and obey and trust God, and I'll bet that's true of some of you too. And so, uh, be careful as you're reading through this that you might not think, well, gosh, those guys are slow. Uh, because we're often slow also. It's on different things, perhaps. Um, but we're often slow as well. And the only way to learn really and understand what it is that God wants to teach us and to obey it and apply it is to keep studying his word. And so we're going to dive in here this morning. We're going to pick up in Mark chapter 6 uh, in uh, verse 30. The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd 
he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it them to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. And then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples and set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake, and he was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. And when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. <clears throat> they ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. And they begged him to let, him touch, let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. Now, uh, this passage that we're looking at today begins by picking up w where, with the disciples who were last seen back in chapter 6 uh, in uh, verses 6 to 13. They're being sent out to minister two by two. And then you have this interlude about John the Baptist beheading, which we saw last week. And this is kind of, okay, well, now let's go back and find out what happened to the disciples. Well, they came back. Uh, and they're understandably excited about what they've been doing. I mean, absolutely, they're pumped. They've gone out, they've been preaching the gospel, they've been casting out demons and healing sick people. What could be better than that, right? This is fun, exciting ministry stuff they've been doing. And they get back, and they're all abuzz about it. But they're also tired because they've been busy. And there are people coming, and um, and they're they're tired, and they're hungry, and between their ministry and Jesus, they've gotten the word out so effectively that now all of a sudden there's just mobs of people coming to a point that they can't even get something to eat. Have you ever been that busy where life is just so busy? It's like, oh, when was lunch? It's four in the afternoon and I'm hungry. 
And they're that level of busy. And so Jesus says, come away with me by yourselves, and let's go to a solitary place and get some rest. Now, is that, is that okay? Is that a legitimate need to have some R&R? Yes. That's a perfectly fine thing. Um, even Jesus does not expect, and I'll just tell you this, even Jesus does not expect that people who are serving him don't need rest. There is a time for ministry, and there's a time for rest, and you need both. Uh, and getting away by yourself for some alone time with Jesus is still a legitimate thing that you should do, right? Everybody needs that, right? In fact, God gave the people of Israel one day in seven to rest and worship God, right? Still a good idea. Not required. We're under the new covenant now, but it's still a good idea to have a day for rest and to worship God. Um, but we also need to be aware of the fact that there will be times in ministry when as much as we need the rest, there are people who need us to minister. And this is one of those times, and we're going to see it on display here, uh, because people are desperate to see Jesus. They are eager to see him to a point that the disciples get in a boat. You know, four of the, four of the 12 of them at least were fishermen, probably more. Uh, and so one of them grabs a boat, and they take off, and they're going to go somewhere away from all this crowd and get alone and have some time to rest and eat and be with Jesus and kind of decompress. But people recognize them leaving, and they're like, hmm, there, there's the boat. Let's see. Let's see if we can plot the trajectory where they're headed. And they just start running around the other side of the lake to get there when they get there. And when they get there, there's this big wad of people. In fact, this is the largest crowd that you ever see in Jesus' ministry, 5,000 men. Now, there are also probably some women and children that are here. How do we know, by the way, how many there were? Because they set them down in groups of 50s and 100s, right? And you could just kind of count, okay, well, there's this many groups of this and this many groups of that, and 5,000 men are there. And women and men ate separately from one another normally. And so they knew exactly how many men there were. This is the biggest crowd you ever see. And people are desperate to see Jesus. In fact, verse 34 says that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so when they land and the big crowd is there, Jesus, rather than be annoyed, we didn't get away. Still people who need us. He has compassion on them. And so Jesus says, you know what? Here they want to hear me. They want to they be with me. So he starts teaching. He starts giving them the words of life that they are desperate to hear. And he teaches a long time. That's what it means by he taught them many things. He spoke for a while. And he spoke until it was late until it was on towards supper time, and they're out in the middle of basically nowhere. Uh, you know, there's not a 7-Eleven nearby where you can go get a frozen burrito and heat it up or something like that, okay? Uh, there's not a there's not an IGA. There's nothing out in this little area. And so people are going to have to walk to get a snack. Uh, people need something to eat. It's late in the day. They're out in the middle of nowhere. And the disciples, remember, remember how they got in this situation? They got in this situation because they were hungry and tired and wanted a break. And Jesus said, well, let's go get a break. 
And now they've had to wait all day on these people. And so they're, they're, they're like, okay, finally, it's late. It's the end of the day. There's no food. All right, now Jesus will surely tell them to go home and we can get some rest. And he says, and they come to Jesus and they don't state it quite that baldly. They say, you know, it's starting to get late in the day and the villages around that would have food are fairly remote. And, you know, you ought to maybe send them out so that um, they can go get something to eat. Don't you think, Jesus? Don't you think that would be a good idea? And Jesus turns and looks at them and says, uh, you give them something to eat. And they're like, well, that's just great. <laughs> okay. Um, Jesus responds that way, I think, to reveal their heart to them. They're thinking about, they're thinking, I think, that they are pretty hot stuff after their first ministry trip, right? I mean, Jesus, we went out and we cast out some demons, just like you did. We put some oil on some people's faces and they got healed. And that's pretty cool. And we're able to heal people just like you did. And we're preaching all about you. I mean, we're a hot stuff. But we're tired. We need rest. But the disciples' response indicates that there's still a hardness in their hearts toward hungry people and toward Jesus himself. Uh, they had just finished ministering in this wonderful way in the power of Jesus. But they failed to remember that it was Jesus' power that made their ministry possible and not their own. Look at what they don't say. They don't say this. They don't say, Lord, you know that we can't provide food for this many people. But we've just been on this ministry trip where we ministered in your power and, and to exalt you. And we know that you could provide it, so would you help? We can't do that. They start thinking all in terms of the material. Their resources uh, are inadequate to the task. And, and rather than go, I know my resources are inadequate, and inadequate to the task, but Lord, you have all the resources we need. What they say is, Lord, that would take eight months' pay to make that happen. Surely you don't want us to spend that much money just so everybody can have a slice of bread. And so Jesus, since they're focused on material things and material sources of uh, supply and empowerment, says, well, how much have you got? Find out how much food you have. And so they go and they search. They, I'm, I'm sure, go back to the boat, check the snack supply in the boat. <laughs> they ask around to all the people, okay, who has food? Who brought lunch? <laughs> um, and they find out they've got five loaves and two fish. Now, these loaves are not large, okay? They're probably about yay big. Uh, they'd be like a, you know, getting a bread bowl at Panera, okay, um, made out of barley or wheat. Um, and they uh, they come up with this stuff, and they say, okay, we've got five loaves and two fish. What can you do with that? And it says, we'll have everybody sit down in groups of 50s and 100s. And it says this, that Jesus blessed the food, 
and he prayed to his father. And then the Greek text is really interesting. It literally reads that he kept giving food to his disciples. So it's like, here's some fish for you, here's some fish for you, and here's some fish, here's some fish, and here's some fish, and here's some fish. And the fish never gets any less. <laughs> he just keeps giving it out. And he, when he start hands up, he's handing out bread, he just keeps handing it out. He kept giving it to his disciples. And, and they keep coming back to get more. And where's Jesus getting all the fish from? Because he just keeps giving it. Where's the bread coming from? I know that there were only five loaves, but it seems to just keep multiplying in his hands. Uh, and it multiplied in his hands to such a degree that there are 12 baskets uh, left over of scraps. Now, who are those for? Well, we've got 12 disciples. They all need to eat. And so they go out and they pick up all the leftover bread and fish. And now the disciples have food. Now, were they concerned about food? Yeah, they were hungry, right? Remember, that's why they were leaving in the first place. Now they got food. Did Jesus provide for their needs? Yeah. Um, but notice what's left out. Every other miracle that Jesus does, every other miracle up to now in Mark, you, you read the report of the miracle, and then at the end it says, and people were what? Amazed, right? Remember when we showed that video? They were amazed at Jesus' power. But here there's no report of that. Read verse 43. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish, and the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. And then it shifts, and immediately Jesus did this. Where's the report that they were amazed? It's missing. Because apparently they weren't amazed. Their, their focus is somewhere else. And so they missed what God was doing in the midst of them. Uh, by the way, is that still possible? Can I get, can I be so focused on me and my needs and I'm serving God but doing so grudgingly that somehow I miss what God is doing right in front of me and cease to be amazed? Yeah, that's still possible. Um, it's happened to me. Maybe it's happened to some of you. Um, but remember, we're following Jesus, so don't forget to be amazed, right? Uh, years ago, there was a um, column in Sports Illustrated by Rick Riley that was giving advice to the new class of baseball players who had just been drafted. And the concluding line was, don't forget to stare up at the lights. Remember that what you're doing and getting paid to do is an amazing privilege, Right? Um, playing professional baseball is an amazing privilege. I mean, think about it. You get paid millions of dollars a year to play what's essentially a game that kids play in dirt lots and uh, grass fields all over America, right? But think about what it is that we do as believers in Christ. We, we get to serve the living God. The one that we sang about 
who flung all of the stars into existence at once by his word, who said, let there be, and there was, who hung the earth in such a way and in such a place that it is neither too hot for us nor too cold, who made marvelous kinds of vegetation, who made the giraffe and the elephant and the whale and the mouse and the tiger and the lion and you and me. And it's that God who calls us to serve him and gives us the ability to do so. So don't forget to be amazed at what Jesus does. Because he's always doing something amazing with people, including you and me. And after this amazing miracle, Jesus sends his disciples off across the water again. He's like, all right, fine. (laughs) You guys want to be away from all the people? Go. And he sends them off to Bethsaida, which uh, there's a a number of towns in, in this area that go by that name. There's, there's uh, one close to Jerusalem. This one is Bethsaida of Galilee, which is a suburb of Capernaum, which is off to the north of where they are. Now, they're not going to wind up there. The text is going to tell us that they wound up in Gennesaret, which is on the west side uh, of the lake. So the, the wind kind of blows them off course, and they wind up somewhere different than when they, where they were planning to be. But he sends them off uh, And it's late enough in the day that by now it's dark. And Jesus goes off by himself to pray, and he sends the crowd away. And Jesus goes off to a lonely place to pray by himself. And when he's done praying, he looks out and sees the disciples. Now, by this time, uh, it's between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. It's late. Uh, The fourth watch of the night is between 3 and 6. It's the last one. In other words, the last watch of the night. Uh, Each watch is three hours, and this is the last one right before the dawn. And he looks out, and he sees the disciples are still not that far offshore. They're out in the middle of the water somewhere, and they're pulling as hard as they can on the oars, but the wind is driving them back, and they can't make much progress. Anybody who's ever been out in a rowboat in a stiff wind knows exactly what they're going through. And they're pulling on the oars, and they're not making much progress. And so Jesus goes out to them. Um, And he goes out walking on the water. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never seen this happen. Okay, Once on National Geographic, I watched this frilled lizard go across the water, running as fast as he can. But Jesus is not running. He's, he's, He's walking. And I want you to see, I learned something this week uh, that I thought was really cool, and I want you to see it too. Mark uses language um, when it says that Jesus was about to pass by them. It's not like, here they are, they're out in the boat, and he's just going to kind of cruise on by, okay? Like, hey guys, having trouble? You know, that's not it, okay? This is Old Testament theophany language. And I missed it for years. I missed it. And I learned it this week. Okay? This is Old Testament theophany language. Keep your place in Mark, and I want to show you a couple of other places. Go to Exodus chapter 33 first, okay? This is so cool. What, what, uh, what Jesus is doing for them. 
okay, they are experiencing something that, that only two people in the whole Old Testament ever experienced. They're going to experience right here on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Exodus 33, chapter, uh, eight, chapter 33, verse 18. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, that is Yahweh, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my left hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Okay? When it says that Jesus is going to pass by them, he is showing them his glory. He is showing them who he is. That he is not just Clark Kent, that he is Superman. That he is the Son of God, the Messiah. And he's revealing it in a way that only Moses and one other person saw, okay? The other person is Elijah, and I want you to see it. First uh, Kings chapter 19. Uh, this is this great story. Uh, the answer, by the way, to one of the questions that was on the, on the countdown, who was afraid of Jezebel? Elijah. Elijah just has this showdown on Mount Carmel where God answers by fire and whoom! The fire of God falls, consumes the sacrifice and the stones and the dirt and the water, everything, just nuked. It's just gone. And everybody says, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. And he says, slay the prophets of Baal. And they go and they do it. And all of a sudden, it, the God's glory is revealed. And then Jezebel says, Elijah, by the end of the day, I'm going to have your head on a stick. And Elijah beats feet for the mountain of God. Now, this is a little hard to understand in light of what's just happened. But nonetheless, Elijah is terrified of Jezebel, and he runs to Mount Horeb. By the way, Mount Horeb is the name of the same mountain that Moses was on, Mount Sinai, when he saw the glory of the Lord. Okay, so um, let me get there. 1 Kings chapter 19. Okay. This is this great scene. Um, whenever you're in trouble, you should read 1 Kings 19. You get depressed, you need to read this. Okay? The word of the Lord, this is verse 9. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. And then it records that there was this great and powerful wind that tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks, and the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the earthquake or the fire. 
And it says that after that, there came a gentle whisper. And Elijah covered his face and went out to the mouth of the cave. For the Lord had passed by. And Jesus, here Mark chapter 6, is about to pass by the disciples. And because their hearts are hard, they don't see him for who he truly is. They think it's a ghost. Uh, The word that's used there is a phantasm, a water spirit. They, They look out and they see this possibly glowing figure moving across the water, and they go, ah, like little girls, <laughs> okay? And Jesus says, take courage, and then notice what he says here, take courage, and it doesn't say it is I, even though that's what the New Testament, uh, the, the NIV says. It says, take courage, I am. Now, the, in the Old Testament, the, the name of the Lord is Yahweh, it's taken, from, it's taken from the Hebrew word hava, which means to exist. I am the one who is. Not the one who was or the one who will be, but the one who is. And Jesus, and it's the name that God, that God revealed himself by, to Moses in the burning bush with. It's when he said, I'm about to pass by. He says, the Lord, Yahweh is about to pass by, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, Hava, Yahweh, the one who is, is coming. And so when the disciples are scared, he says, take courage, I am. In other words, who is with you? God, the God who revealed himself to Moses and to Elijah and to the people of Israel through the prophets and the Red Sea and the plagues and the kings and the scriptures. I am is with you. And it says they were terrified because they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. They simply did not have the eyes to see what was happening right in front of them. Apart from the Mount of Transfiguration that only three of the disciples see, this is the clearest revelation to the disciples prior to the crucifixion that Jesus ever does. And they missed it. Because they had not understood about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. And then they they don't even really have time to process it all because they get over they finally get over to the other side of the lake because the wind has died down and they're able to make progress with the oars at that point. And they wind up in Gennesaret instead of Bethsaida. And people come to them from everywhere. And they're healing. And people are, are, are hauling people out to the marketplaces, which is the biggest public area they can get. Because they're desperate to touch even the cloak of Jesus. Now, where did they get that idea? From a woman who lives on that side of the sea who touched Jesus' cloak and was healed. So they're like, well, I'm sick. <laughs> Let me do that. Word has got around about Jesus, and they go right back into ministry. Do they ever get the rest they wanted? No. But they got to see Jesus. 
and he passed by them in glory. Now this 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 chapter is is a study in contrasts. On the one hand, you have the the triumphant return of the disciples from doing fruitful ministry in Jesus' name and with Jesus' power. And on the other, you have their impatient desire to get away from the people to whom God was calling them to do ministry. You have people who literally beg to even to touch Jesus' cloak, who trust him to heal simply on the basis of a report that they heard about a woman who had had that happen. And you have people who are close to Jesus who are nevertheless described as hard-hearted and fearful of the Lord Jesus whom they love. You have two of Jesus' most amazing miracles in the entire Gospels. These are two of the very most amazing ones. And you have it cast alongside disciples who are too hard-hearted to see the glory of God being revealed before their very eyes. And this passage really challenges me for that reason. I hope it challenges you too. None of us, I'm sure, has set ourselves a goal of missing seeing the glory of God displayed in our life. You know, Lord, uh, it, I'd really like to see you do something amazing, and I'd like to like be too dense to, to see it. None of us has that as a goal. If you're a devoted follower of Christ, you want to see God's glory revealed and you want to witness it when it happens, right? And be aware that it's happening. But I worry for myself that I might miss it because I see in myself some of the same characteristics that I see here in this passage in the disciples. And maybe some of you have them in your heart too. So as we close today, I just want to raise a few questions, five questions, to help us see the times when we need to repent of our hard-heartedness so that we might see the glory of God revealed to us. First question, am I more concerned about my needs than I am about the needs of others? The disciples wanted rest and time away from all the people, which is a legitimate need. They needed rest. They needed food. They needed time to be alone with Jesus. Uh, but the hard issue is, am I making my needs preeminent over those of other people? Uh, do I engage in ministry from the priority or the, from the periphery? Is ministry central to what I'm doing? Or is it something that's also on my to-do list? So the disciples getting themselves cared for was at the top of the list. And everybody else was somewhere down. For Jesus, it was the reverse. Uh, when I get more concerned about my needs than the needs of other people, then, we are, then I am hardening my heart. And when we do that, we are hardening our hearts. Uh, do I forget that it's God who empowers my ministry? The disciples forgot that it was God who had given them the ability to do the things they had just done. Uh, it wasn't because they were so great, but because God was and God is. 
And we can forget that sometimes too and begin taking credit where it isn't due. And when we do that, we're hardening our heart. Third question, do I consider people to be an annoying impediment to my ministry or to be the ministry? Let me ask that again. Do I consider people to be an annoying impediment to my ministry or to be the ministry? Every now and then I get together with pastors and I heard one guy make a crack one time that being a pastor would be great if it weren't for all the people. <laughs> okay, which is kind of funny until you think about it uh, and realize that people are the ministry. That people inside the church are yours to minister to, whether you're the pastor or whether you're one of the other uh, 95 ministers we have here this morning. People are the ministry. They're not, in the, uh, they're not people getting in the way of the ministry. They are the ministry. Uh, people outside the church are the ministry too. They're the ones to whom we're to carry the gospel and God's grace. Uh, it's easy for us to miss opportunities that are right in front of us if we forget that people are the ministry. Here's the biggest crowd that these guys will ever minister to in their entire life. Even Peter, on his greatest day preaching, preaches to about 3,000 folks who become Christians. Here's a crowd of 5,000 people, and these guys are thinking about, when do I get to leave and go get snacks? When we consider people to whom we're called to minister to be annoying, <laughs> we're hardening our hearts. Do I forget to look to Jesus for help? The disciples focus on the gap between what they had and what the need was. They said, Lord, we got five loaves and two fish. And I know you can't do anything with that. So send them out of here, will you? And sometimes when we come to God, that's how we feel. We go, well, look, this is what I got. And um, I know what the need is. And so we're just stuck. But God is not stuck. And the disciples forgot to come to Jesus with an attitude that he can do anything he wants with anything. In fact, since he's the creator of the entire universe, does he need five loaves and two fish as like seed stock to get started with? No. We forget, when we forget to ask Jesus to come to our aid, we're, because we've hardened our heart. Last question. Have we ceased to be amazed by Jesus? The disciples weren't, at least in one part, amazed by Jesus. He had just fed 5,000 men and plus women and children with five loaves and two fish, and they kind of went ho-hum off to the boat. And sometimes it's tempting when we see God do a mighty work to just kind of go, well, oh, that was cool. Uh What's on today? 
and we've ceased to be amazed by Jesus. Let's pray.